Okay, we are back to podcast, and I hope everyone has had a, a good day in the Lord. He is so good to us, so very good, and I'm thankful uh, for all that He's done for us and uh, the good day in the Lord that we've been blessed with. Turn to Mark chapter number 8. Mark chapter 8. This is uh, the healing of of the blind man at Bethsaida. And this only Mark tells this story of the miracle. Uh, of course, Jesus, and naturally, he healed blind Bartimaeus and others. But this particular account is only told by Mark. Um, and it's it's noted, it's noteworthy because of the gradual way that the man's sight is restored. Um, and all of his miracles, all of Jesus' miracles are recorded in the Bible so that we might understand the deeper truth. And um, what we learn here is is spiritually how our spiritual vision is renewed. Um, number one, it's going to come by the presence and power of Jesus. Number two, uh, the moment that we come to Jesus and accept him, we're no longer children of darkness but children of light. And then, in, and then number three, uh, though we do not see everything clearly when we are first saved, we're no longer blind and our vision gets a little better over time. And I'll show you all, all of that uh, here in just a moment. Let's start in Matthew 8 and 22. A lot of good stuff here. And he cometh <clears throat> to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. So, uh, this is different. That It, it kind of harkens back to the original miracle in Mark chapter 2 where uh, the uh, one that, that was born of four is brought to Jesus. This particular case, they bring a blind man to Jesus and they want Jesus to to touch him and to heal him. And so they, they're under a burden for him. They have a desire for him. And then verse 23, And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Now this is significant. And the significance of this is, if you recall, Jesus could do no miracles there because of the hardness of their hearts. And so... He keeps his word. Jesus keeps his word. God keeps his word to us. And to demonstrate and illustrate this, he leads the blind man out of the town because he's about to to accomplish a miracle and he kept his word that he could not do and perform any miracles uh, due to the hardness of their hearts. And so that being the case, he takes him out of the town to accomplish this miracle. So that's very significant, very noteworthy. And then we come to verse 23, and when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. The the significance of spitting in his eyes is, is the Jews believe that when the Messiah come, that he would be so he would be so powerful he would be so righteous so holy 
so full of grace and truth and miracles and power that his very spittle would produce miracle-working power. There'd be power in the spit of the Savior. And that would be and, and illustrate for us the significance of why Jesus would spit on this man or spit here in his eyes and, and make clay. So the Bible says he, he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him. And he asked him if he saw aught. So when Jesus spits in his eyes, he asked him, Do you see? Can, can you see now? And he looked up and he said, I see men as trees walking. And so when he first looks up, he, he can't make out what he sees he can't make out necessarily every detail. He can't make out necessarily everything that's going on, but he's not blind anymore. And folks, that, that's beautiful. That, that is a, a great picture of when we first get saved, when we first get exposed to the Word of God, to the Bible, to Bible teaching. And we, we may not see everything as we ought to see it. We may not see everything as clearly as we should see it. But we're not blind anymore. We can begin to make some things out. Things are getting a little more clearer than they once were and hopefully they'll continue to get clearer for us. And that's what Paul said. He said, you know, I, I, I looked through a glass, I looked one time through a glass darkly, but he begins to see more clear. And that's that's how it is when we get saved. Our our initial encounter with Jesus, it, it we, we see things for much differently now than we did when we first got born again, before we first got saved. And that's what this is teaching. The blind man is no longer blind. He now has sight. He just can't see as clear as he will very soon. In verse 25, after that, he put his hands again upon his eyes, and he made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. So the progression of this is, is noteworthy. And the progression of this is significant in the story because now he gets a second touch from Jesus. And I'm going to do a lesson one day. I've always, this is the one subject matter that I've never, I've always wanted to, to preach a message and to do a study. I think maybe I'll do that soon on, a, on the second touch. And there's nothing like being saved. Nothing. Nothing like that initial born-again experience. But if there's anything that's close, it's the second touch. And we see that with Elijah. You remember when Elijah was under the juniper tree and he wished that he might die, and the Bible said the Lord came again unto him the second time. And there's many instances in the scriptures where the Bible teaches a, a second touch and not a secondary revelation. There, that's, that's 
significant also. You know, a lot of the charismatic groups teach on a secondary revelation. That's not what I'm talking about, and that doesn't lend biblical basis. But a second touch where we're saved, but we're, we're not at the place where we're, we've matured and where we see, see our relationship with the Lord as it ought to be. And God touches us again. And as he touches us again, we see more we see things more clearly than what we ever have before. And so that's that's what's going on here. This man was blind, completely blind. Couldn't see a thing. And Jesus touched him. And initially he just seen the shape of men kind of look like trees to him and they're walking around. And when he told that to Jesus, Jesus came and he touched him again. He says, I see clearly now. Boy, that's good. That's good. God, give me a second touch so I can see clearly. Give me a second touch so I can communicate with you clearly. And he sent him away, verse 26, to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell it into any man. One more time. Jesus instructs someone to not tell anyone. And Jesus went out, and that's verse 20, let's go to verse 27. Uh, now we go in, and Peter deals with Jesus, or Jesus deals with Peter. So he's he's healed folks, and he's, he's begun to do great things. I do have a message along these lines, and I, I'm actually going to preach soon. I've, uh, I've had on my heart on and off again through through the couple of years that we've been together and I never really had the liberty to preach it but Jesus uh, is now talking to Peter and the Bible says and Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi and by the way he asked his disciples saying unto them whom do men say that I am and he he's not asking this so that he might have the information himself. He's doing this because he knew all things. He's doing this for the sake of those that are following him. That's why he's asking this question. And he was preparing them for for a fuller revelation of, of himself. And so he looks at him and he says, "So I, you know, he's he's committed some miracles, performed some miracles before him. He's accomplished much. He's just he's fed five thousand, fed four thousand. He's walked on the waters, calmed the storm, healed the palsy man, healed Jay Iris's daughter. I mean, he's done a lot of stuff already. And so now he's got his disciples alone again. He's got his followers alone again, and he." turns to him and he says, so, so tell me guys, who, who do men say that I am? Well, what do you think, fellas? What, what's the word on the street about me? And Peter answered, Peter's always going to answer, and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. Again, again, Jesus emphasizes, don't tell anyone. So I've counted, I think, five times in just a few short chapters, Jesus is, is warned somebody to not tell others of whom he is. And the reason he is is because 
there's a couple of things. The, the primary reason is, is his ministry's not yet done. He, he's not spent his three and a half years here. The cross is not uh, imminent at this particular point. He's not fulfilled all the scriptures that he will fulfill, and he he's not wanting to get arrested. He's not wanting the pressure to, to be where it needs to be as of yet. And so he continually says, look, let's keep this down, and I, I'll, I'll work... Uh, without the public spotlight and the public profile. Now, let, let me elaborate on that. Part of the growth that I un, have underwent through the years as a, as a preacher, as a Christian, as a child of God, is, is you know, when, when you're first preaching, especially as a young man, and initially, you know, you gained, I gained popularity and I was preaching a lot of revival meetings and traveling around. Um, it was a little more public. Um, there's, there's a spotlight, if you please. And, and sometimes it's, it's, uh, it necessarily didn't didn't always distract me, but it, it was a hindrance. I looking back, you know, I, concerning my family, I, I I regret my family being in that type of spotlight situation. And one of the things I've learned through the years was there's something to be said for the spotlight to be turned off in us to just serve Jesus without any earthly recognition or earthly renown or earthly, uh, you know, pats on the back, just serving Jesus because you love Jesus, serving God because you love God. And that's where I'm at it, almost 48 years old next month, less than a month away, and you know, I got saved a week after my 20th birthday, so we're looking at the 28th year I was saved and been in church probably 40 years. There's something to be said for just serving God, loving Jesus, because you love them both. You know, and that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. You know, if if God ever, you know, restores the, the place of revival preaching, and and that's what He wanted, or evangelistic work, then I, I would do it. I would do it a thousand percent. But you know what? If He's just got a little corner for me to plow and to work and to tend and to and to sow, then that's all right too. There's something to be said about just just working for Jesus and living and loving Jesus and God and doing the work of God in a in a manner that doesn't have to be spotlighted and highlighted and advertised for everybody. Just serving because you love him. And so at least five times in a few short chapters Jesus has told folks, Don't tell anybody about me. Don't tell anybody what I've done. Verse number 31. Verse 31. 
And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days arise again. So that is why he doesn't want it broadcast yet because he's still yet to suffer these things. He's still yet to die. And he spake, uh, he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Now this is astonishing. The very to Peter, the idea that the Messiah being put to death was, was just about impossible. Uh, Peter did not discern the full meaning of Christ's first coming, and the cross was absolutely necessary. And so Peter is extremely offended at the idea of the cross. He's extremely offended at this ministry end, and he's extremely offended at his Savior being put to death, being arrested. He thinks he's the Messiah. It's almost un, 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 unheard of that this would take place. And so Peter actually rebukes him. Look at what it says. He began to rebuke him, and he took him. Now, I've illustrated that for y'all before with Kevin. He actually physically took him aside, physically put in, in hand and an arm upon him and took him to the side. That's what Peter does to Jesus. But when he turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Now Peter, at this point, did not know he was the instrument of Satan. When, when he rebuked the Lord. Okay, so this is not the only time that Satan tries to turn uh, Jesus away from the cross. He tries it on the temptation, uh, you know, early on in his ministry. And so that that's significant also. I, I want to I help you with something. Peter is a follower of Jesus. Peter is a disciple of Jesus. And, and Jesus tells him, calls him Satan. He rebukes him to the degree that he is calling him Satan. Peter was not aware at this time that he was being used as an instrument of Satan. That's sobering. I never want to be used as an instrument of Satan. He can't have me. He can't take me. He can't, he can't inhabit me. He can't possess me. But he can, if I were to let him, use me as an instrument in his hand. Because he does. He, he is Peter. Jesus is telling him, get thee behind me, Satan. And, and when we do things and say things and act ways that are contrary to the Word of God, the will of God, gossip, if you are a, a gossiping type person, you're an instrument of Satan. If you, that's sowing discord among the brethren. If you are an unforgiven person, that's an instrument of Satan. If you're a person that causes trouble in a church, that's an instrument of Satan. And so Jesus confronts that, and he says, Get thee behind me, Satan. Peter's following Jesus, but he's being used as an instrument of Satan. It's always important to know 
the word of God, to abide by it to the degree that we never, and that should be a prayer of ours every day, to never be be used as an instrument of the enemy of Satan. And so he said, tells him, get thee behind me, Satan. He said, you're, you're wanting the things of men. You're wanting an earthly kingdom. You don't want to be under political pressure of Rome. All these things you, you're wanting me to be the Messiah for the wrong reasons at this point and I've got to die on a cross for the sins of everybody not just you Jews so move to verse number 23 and when he called the people unto him with his disciples also he said unto them whosoever will come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me. So if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to come after him, take up your cross. So every day that you live, if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to identify with the cross. And on the cross, something dies. The the cross, ladies and gentlemen, is, is likened to that of an altar. An altar, something always has to die. There has to be a sacrifice. And that gives credence to what Paul said when he said, I die daily. He said, I'm, in Colossians, he said, I mortify my members. And he admonishes us to do the same. So he says, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. So if you're your entire being, your entire existence is about saving and promoting your own life, you're ultimately going to lose what God has in store for you. But notice, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and for the gospels, the same shall save it. He said, but you get life and you get life abundantly if you're willing to, to lay down your life for the sake of the gospel, your hopes, desires, dreams for the sake of the gospel. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So the first question is, what, what profit do you get if you, if you gain everything the world has to offer? You spend your life chasing the world, chasing what the world can give, chasing what the world has to offer. That's how you spend your entire life. But you, you come to the end of those 70, 80 years. When you come to the end of those 70 or 80 years, now you turn and you look back. You stand before God and you've lost your own soul. Because I can tell you, 70, 80 years down here is nothing, nothing compared to eternity. So what shall you gain if you gain your, what do you profit if you gain your whole life and lose your soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What, what would you give in exchange for your soul? What, what would you want? What would you want in, in trade? Wherefore, wheresoever, therefore, 
shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him. Also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I have made every attempt in my heart to never be ashamed of Jesus Christ and his cross. Jesus Christ and his in his in in his resurrection, Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished for us. Now, verse thirty-four, where he says, "Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me." Folks, those are cross for the follower of Jesus, and and as well for for Jesus himself. And like I've already told you, cross means death, and Jesus would die a cruel death. But the ultimate issue in the death of the cross is self-denial, okay, is denying oneself. That's what Paul said in Romans 6 when he said, Yield not your members as instruments of unrighteousness. To whom we yield is is whom we, we give into, whom we give over to. And so every day that we live, we should get up. Some days we do, some days we don't. Some days are better than others, but... When you wake up in the morning, determine that this day I'm going to deny what I want, what I desire. And sometimes they're in alignment. Sometimes you, you, you might be completely in alignment with what God wants for you. And those days are just complete bliss and it's not that much of a battle. But if you're carrying this flesh around, those days are few and far between. And he said, I want you to deny yourself. Take up your cross daily, and I want you to follow me. And that's our challenge. That's our challenge. What would that mean? What would that mean? It can mean a variety of things. It could factor into our giving. Something you want, something you desire, something that you've had plans for. But you've denied yourself, and you you, you give to a, a different cause. You give more to the church. You give more to a mission. And that's what he wants. That's what he's talking about. You know, maybe maybe you, you want to spend some time doing some things that you enjoy, but he, he wants you to spend a little time in prayer. Fasting's a good a, a good subject. I, I haven't talked uh, taught a lot on fasting, but it's absolutely biblical. I mean, one time the disciples came to him and said, why, why couldn't we cast this, this demon out? And he said, this kind, kind can only come through prayer, prayer and fasting. And fasting's not just always physical food. It is setting aside, putting aside something sacrificially that you might be, be consecrated to God. It can be food. That's the primary and best example but it could be, you know, I'm I'm not gonna I'm I'm gonna turn off the television for for a week, two weeks, while I seek God over this matter. And you know, generations ago, when you really seen the power of God on churches and on people, they didn't have all the distractions that we have. Now we're we're so clung to them and so hold to them so tight that. They've distracted us to the degree that we don't have that touch and power anymore. 
And sometimes God, I, I, you know, I, I've been through that recently where God just wanted me, I, you know, it's a good time of year for me business-wise. And I'm, I'm running here and there, jobs, looking at jobs, getting new jobs, working on the jobs we're on. And there's been times where God's just said, I want you. He did it recently. I want you to stop. I want you to put everything aside. And I want you to get with me. I want you to spend some time with me. And I want you to seek me. Some things things I'm searching and looking for the will of God on. We've got to seek his face. Find his will. That's what taking up your cross daily and following Jesus is. Sometimes we've got to sacrificially give up some things for a while, maybe forever, to fully follow Jesus Christ. Mark chapter number 8. This is the last portion of Mark chapter number 8. The denial of ourselves for the Lord Jesus Christ and His cross. Taking up our cross. I hope you have a good evening. And I will talk to you. We'll be back on Wednesday night podcast. We get through the month of August or the month of July. And we get into the month of August. We'll pick back up in Bible study. As a matter of fact, maybe even before August. Probably towards the latter part of July. After I get back from Bible study. Or back from vacation. Uh, we'll pick back up on in-person Bible study. Hope you've enjoyed this, and uh, I love each one of you. Good night, and God bless.